Good morning and thank you for joining me on the Path to Liberty for Monday morning, September 9th, 2019. Today we're talking about the right to trial by jury. What the founders always talked very positively about, in fact, some would refer to it as the cornerstone of liberty, not only essential to secure liberty, but to act as a check on government power, government theft, and other government actions. I'm going to cover articles from my buddy Joe Wolverton, who we just published this morning. He did a long article covering the history and importance of the trial by jury. Also an excerpt from a book from James Ostrowski. And then I what I think is probably the best article ever written on trial by jury by Lysander Spooner, in 1852. First of all, before getting to that, my name is Michael Bolden. We're broadcasting live as we do our best to do every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 9.30 a.m. Pacific time from here in my home office and studio in downtown Los Angeles for the 10th Amendment Center. We broadcast live through our channels over at YouTube, Facebook, DLive, Periscope, and Twitch.tv. We have archived video versions at Brighteon.com and BitChute, plus, of course, the ever-important podcast edition where we just do audio only through iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and elsewhere. You can find all of our archives, all of the show notes, uh, stuff that I reference, ways to follow, support us financially over at 10thamendmentcenter.com slash path to liberty. Again, 10thamendmentcenter.com slash path to liberty. Before getting to the show, I want to say hi to my friends out in the live chat. I appreciate you guys all spending some time with me on your Monday, and I hope you had an awesome weekend. Uh, I really appreciate you guys all joining me today. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. This is something I'm actually, I would not consider myself an expert on this topic at all, but I think the articles that I'm covering really, really help me, and I'm going to try to share with you guys what I've learned from these guys who I think have been absolutely incredible on uh, researching and writing about the trial by jury. So I'm going to do my very best to share that information with you guys here today. So last week, Friday, if you tuned into last week, Friday show, if you haven't yet, I encourage you to do so. Of course, the archives over at 10thamendmentcenter.com slash path to liberty. I talked about how constitutions don't enforce themselves and how the founders, most prominently James Madison in Federalist 48, told us that it's dangerous to actually expect a constitution to enforce itself because when you do so, you're ignoring the fact that government's tendency is always to grow. And so if you count on a piece of paper, even with the most eloquent words in history possibly written on it, to stop what politicians will always naturally do, you're going to have a serious, serious problem. So then the natural question that follows, of course, is, well, if government won't limit its own power, if constitutions can't do it for us, what do we do about it then? Is it just voting bums out or hoping that the federal courts will limit those federal powers? If you've watched this show enough or if you followed our work at the 10th Amendment Center, you know that the answer to that question is pretty obvious. If you rely on Washington, D.C., if you rely on government to limit its own power, whether it's through elections or lawsuits or voting bums out or protests or any of these parts of the system that most people choose to use to somehow stop federal power or government power in general, 
If you rely on those, it's just never going to work. Government power will always grow, and that's where we are today. So what we support and we follow very closely here, we encourage people to do, is to use nullification in various, various forms. And one of those forms, which is incredibly essential, is jury trials or jury nullification. This morning, we published a really important article by Joe Wolverton, who's been writing for The New American for a long time. We've also published articles from him uh, here over at TAC for quite a while. Not as many as he writes for New American, but uh, we're very grateful anytime he submits something to us. I consider Joe a personal friend and a really good writer and researcher. And this is the article. And again, all the links are in the show notes. Let me pull it up here so if you guys are watching on video. Trial by Jury a jewel of freedom. And he starts out the article going through a history of this from Magna Carta back in 1215. And I, you know, that probably is very interesting stuff. We, we're sending it out as an email over the next couple of hours so you can read it in full if you're on our email list or just check out the link in the show notes. But what I wanted to get into actually right here is this section where he talks about trial by jury as a defense against despotism. And he puts it this way, when men form communities, they soon come to recognize that the protection of property is the paramount consideration in drafting constitutions. He writes, such legal protection, however, has never proved sufficient deterrent to a man or group of men from expropriating the property of others. He's basically repeating the same message that I had on this show on Friday, the same message that we heard from people like St. George Tucker in 1803 or James Madison, most famously in Federalist 48. Even the best constitution, the best rules for government is not a sufficient deterrent to government violating your rights. You can't just put rules on paper and wave it in front of the politicians and hope that they'll be like, oh, okay, thanks for showing me that document. I might as well not uh, steal all the stuff from you that I wanted to steal. Sorry, I'm good here. So we know that that doesn't work because people have been trying it for decades and it doesn't work. So he goes on, he says, this theft, and I like that he talks, talks about taking people's property as theft. It's often perpetrated by those elected or appointed to make or enforce the law. And historically, these legislators will go to great lengths to perpetrate their power and their influence over the power, property of their compatriots. And I, this is a pretty long section that I highlighted, but I think it's really important to kind of set the stage. Joe goes on, he says, in light of this propensity of the powerful to de deprive the governed of the full measure of their God-given liberty, liberty, the trial was developed as a way of providing those accused by government or by other men of violating the law of the land with a process by which guilt or innocence could be declared by a group of, group of men equal to the accused in legal standing. In other words, appear. So this will make a little bit more sense here briefly. But last Friday, I also talked about a guy named Lysander Spooner. He's a 19th century anarchist that a lot of people like to take one quote of his generally out of context to prove that it's pointless to, to talk about the Constitution, to educate, to actually try to follow it, whatever it may be. They say it's pointless. If you want to learn about that particular thing, when you hear Lysander Spooner, if that's the only thing that you know, if you know nothing, that's fine. But if that's what comes to mind, check out again last week's Friday's episode. But I also think Spooner, even though I disagree with him, 
on the end result or how people have uh, used his quote uh, in regards to the Constitution. I think Spooner was one of the most important thinkers and writers on the Constitution in the 19th century. He talked about slavery, uh, the post office, and trial by jury. He really, really wrote a lot of really important stuff. And Joe cites this in his article, in his paper, an essay on the trial by jury. This is from 1852. Let's pull up before I get to what Joe has to cite here. This is in section one, chapter one, the right of juries to judge the justice of laws. Spooner sets it up like this. It is not only the right and duty of juries to judge what are the facts, what is the law, and what was the moral intent of the accused, but that is that it is also their right and their primary and paramount duty to judge the justice of the law and to hold all laws invalid that are, in their opinion, unjust or oppressive, and all persons guiltless in violating or resisting the exec execution of such laws. In very nice prose, what he is saying is it is the power, the right, the moral imperative of a jury to consider the facts of a case, to consider whether or not somebody broke or violated the government enacted enforced law, and then also on top of it, make a decision of whether or not that law is even just. And if it is not just, or if the uh, a guilty verdict would uh, come with an unjust, immoral punishment, to say that they're not guilty anyways. That is what we call jury nullification. Spooner goes on. He says, unless, the right, unless such be the right and duty of juries, it is plain that instead of juries being a palladium of liberty, that's what St. George Tucker called it back in 1803, a barrier against the tyranny and oppression of the government, they are really mere tools in its hands for carrying into ex execution any injustice and oppression it may desire to have executed. Again, the short version, unless the jury can make a decision on whether or not someone should go free, they aren't acting as a barrier to government power. And it doesn't matter if the government says this is what the law is, and it doesn't matter if the facts show that that person violated that law. This is the opportunity for the people to say, we don't care government what your stupid law is, this person should not be punished for it. And that is the great power of the trial by jury. That's what the founders believed in as well. Now, here's what, uh, back to Joe's article. He says it's essential that in order to secure these rights, he cites Spooner again, in order to secure the right of the people to be the judge of their own liberties against the government, the jurors are taken from the body of the people by lot or by some process that precludes any previous knowledge choice or selection of them on the part of the government. So if the government is actually choosing who's going to be on the jury, then they can make determinations of people who might side with the government. You basically need to have the whole system separate. This is what Spooner called trial by country rather than trial by jury. And back over to his article, that's what he says. He says it was anciently called trial per pay, that must be in French. That is the trial by country. And now in every criminal trial, the jury are told the, 
that the accused has for trial put himself upon the country, which the country, the jury, you are. This is distinguished from, as Spooner put it, a trial by government. If government is the one that is accusing a person, that is considering the facts of the person, that is making the consideration of guilt or innocence of the actual facts of the case and whether or not the law is just, the government is always going to side with the government. We know this. Government takes its own side all the time. It is very rare that they don't. And even if they did all the time, still you need the opportunity to be able to say this is supposed to be a government of people, not of kings and queens. So if we the people are supposedly in charge, then this is our kind of final check, final peaceful check without an armed revolution. And he puts it this way. This trial by country or by the people in preference to a trial by government is to guard against every species of oppression by the government. And so that's why it's essential that the government is not involved in the selection process for the jury. Now, I'm going to make a point that Joe, I'm going to bring up what Joe had to say about this process as it plays out in modern times. It's far different than what it's supposed to be, really. Spooner goes on. He says, any government that in its own judge, and this may sound familiar to those of you who regularly read the stuff that we publish or listen to the stuff that I have to say, Spooner says any government that is its own judge of and determines authoritatively for the people what are its own powers over the people is an absolute government, of course. If the government determines the extent of its own powers, then you don't have a free government. You have an oppressive tyranny. It's an absolute government. They make the decisions for themselves. He says it has all the powers that it chooses to exercise. There is no other or at least no more accurate definition of a despotism than this. So in Lysander Spooner's mind and in mine as well, if government makes the rules for the extent of its own powers, there, this is not a free country. Even if, even if government doesn't exercise all the powers that it wants to based on popular opinion or funding, or whatever it may be. Just because it hasn't gotten worse does not mean that if this is the situation, which I believe it is today, that you are not living under a despotic government. And Spooner didn't make this up. This didn't, this didn't originate from him. In fact, this exact sentence, and again, this is a pretty long article that he wrote. It's a full paper. I really, really, if you want a book length, this is the, the whole thing is available for free. I believe you can even download it. Let me look at the top. I've got this from the Online Library of Liberty. They publish all kinds of stuff for free. I think you can download it. Yeah, you can download it as a PDF. You can download it and upload to your Kindle, or you can just read it online like I have it here. And this is incredible book length stuff. So what Spooner had to say about a despotic government, about government restricting or determining the extent of its own powers. It could have been Thomas Jefferson who wrote this. So for example, back in 1798, you may be familiar with the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions of that year in response to the hated Alien and Sedition Acts. It's what first formalized, even though the principles existed for many decades before that, it first formalized the principles of nullification. And here's what Jefferson in his original draft, I think this actually, this was made on October 4th. So the original draft was written on October 4th. 
He put it this way, the government created by this compact was not made the exclusive or final judge of the extent of the powers delegated to itself. That's not what they created. No one disagreed with that. Since that would have made its discretion, Jefferson wrote, and not the Constitution the measure of its powers. And I don't have a link to this that I plan on putting in the show notes, but this really is the supremacy clause. The supremacy clause tells us not that every federal act is supreme, everything that the federal government does is supreme. It tells us that the Constitution is supreme. And those acts of the federal government that are made in pursuance of the Constitution are supreme. Everything else is reserved to the states or to the people as the people of each state determine. So what Spooner had to say here, and if I can scroll back down, maybe I can get to it. Any government that is the judge of its own uh, powers, the extent of its own powers, is an absolute government. It's the definition of a despotism. And that's what Jefferson said. That's what Jefferson said back in 1798. And there are few people that were more influential over the founding of the country than Thomas Jefferson, maybe Samuel Adams, John Hancock. But this is the this was the mentality that if government could make its own distinction, that's what they fought to get away from. So that's why it's also essential to say that a trial by jury should not be a trial by government, with government making all the rules, picking who's there, determining what they can do, what they can't do. And of course, we know that people get arrested for merely handing out pamphlets to say that it is the right and duty of jurors to actually not only determine the facts of the case, because that's all the government wants people to do on a jury, is just, these. Are, this is the law that we have. These are the facts. And when you consider those facts, did they break the law, yes or no? That's all the government wants people to do. That is a trial by government. That is not a trial by jury as the founders understood it. That is not a trial by jury, the great, the great right that goes all the way back hundreds and hundreds of years, nearly a thousand years at this point. That is far different. A trial by the country, by the people, they can not only follow what the government wants them to do, but they can reject what the government wants to do on that trial. So over here, Theophilus Parsons, this is an excerpt from James Ostrowski. He wrote this great book or an article, The Rise and Fall of Jury Nullification, back in September or spring of 2001 in the Journal of Libertarian Studies. We uh, took an excerpt from Mises.org and republished it here under Creative Commons, which is really cool that they do that. And James has been always really awesome. But he cites Theophilus Parsons, who I've talked about pretty regularly, who in the Massachusetts ratifying convention. This guy was one of the most well-known lawyers in the Northeast at that time. Massachusetts was the hotbed. This is Samuel Adams, John Adams, John Hancock, and the rest. This is really kind of the hotbed of discussion there in Virginia, of course. And Theophilus Parsons ended up being a, the, I think, the first chief justice uh, in Massachusetts after the Constitution was ratified, but this is how he put it. The people themselves have it in their power effectually to resist usurpation without being driven to an appeal to arms. So there is a step before pulling out the firearms and having a war. And if you understand what the American Revolution was, as John, John Adams described it in 1818, we know that the revolution, as he put it, 
happened before the war for separation commenced. That's how he said it. The revolution was before the war commenced. It was a change in the minds, the sentiments, the religious views of the people about government power. The war was the culmination of the revolution. So this also is a real revolution when the people actually take it into their hands and check and resist government power without having to have an appeal to arms, as Theophilus Parsons says. He says, an act of usurpation is not obligatory. It is not law, and any man may be justified in his resistance. So if the government passes a law that they're not allowed to pass, then any man, according to Theophilus Parsons, and this was widely agreed upon by the founders, and especially in the Massachusetts ratifying convention, because this is where he talked about it, but this was a common view at the time, that if government exercised powers that it weren't, wasn't delegated to it, anyone was justified in resisting that. And so what happens then? If someone resists that, they of course are risking arrest and prosecution by the government. So what's the response? Parsons goes on and he says it this way, let him be considered as a criminal by the general government. Government, call them a criminal. Call all of us criminals. That's basically how they treat all of us. Mind you, the anniversary of the September 11th uh, terrorist attacks are coming up, but we'll be talking about that a little bit more on Wednesday. But Parsons says, let them be considered. They treat us all like criminals, right? For acting freely. If you try to defend your home and your family, with your right, your natural right to keep and bear arms without permission from government, you're a criminal just for exercising your rights. You try to conduct business that isn't approved by the banking system, the Federal Reserve, cash transfers, you may be considered a criminal as well. So some very basic, simple things, right to travel, they, they interfere with all of our rights all the time. So he says, let them be considered a criminal by the general government. I think that's really important to repeat because they weren't concerned with whether or not, I mean, they, of course, they were, they did not want government to call people criminals because it makes it more difficult for, for human beings to exist, to live their life. But when you get down to the principle of it, if government says you're a criminal and you're doing something right, government's wrong. Just continue doing what's right. He says, yet only his fellow citizens can convict him, talking about the power of jury nullification. They are his jury. And if they pronounce him innocent, not all the powers of Congress can hurt him. And innocent, they certainly will pronounce him if the supposed law he resisted was an act of usurpation. Now, certainly you need a well-educated populace that believes in the Constitution as passed and liberty. Unfortunately, that is not the type of society we live in today. We live in a society where people want more sent. You have one group of people who sees the president as the worst person in history, and they their solution to that problem is to act ask for more government power. They just want the government to have more and more power. And the people who support the current president who think he's the greatest in history think the previous guy was the worst in history and want the current guy to have more and more power. So most of the country are complete idiots when it comes to the structure of government the foundation and principles of liberty, and that is just very unfortunate. So we've got a lot of work to do. Of course, we have to just keep educating and pushing forward no matter what the odds. So Parsons was really adamant about, hey, you should be able to, uh, to resist. 
And so Joe goes on. He says, this basically is the summary of what a jury is. This is what they do. This is their job, not simply to convict people based on the evidence that government submits, based on the laws that government creates. It's to think independently. He says, the jury, if properly composed of compatriots, would thwart the theft of tyrants. It would prevent the punishment of the innocent. It would blunt the blow of the book of law thrown at one who took a misstep, but whose reputation is held in high regard by his countrymen. And it would be again if justly and impartially impaneled be the first and last barricade between a man and those who would abuse the law to make themselves his master. So this is the bulwark, the barricade against which government can't get beyond, or it's very, very difficult. And I did mention that Joe kind of talked about, and he, this is a guy who was a former practicing attorney, so he has some interesting insight, and he says this, it doesn't really work like this anymore, because we, the people, again, have allowed government to dictate the terms of how even this great right of the people, the right of the country, to determine to restrict government power is still now just a tool of government. He says, I can personally testify, and with great sadness, that the traditional de and true definition of a jury has been abandoned. Today, lawyers representing the government, sorry about that. Today, lawyers representing the government and those representing the accused purposely prevent men with even a whiff of familiarity with the defendant from sitting on the jury that will be tasked with weighing the evidence presented at trial. The whole point of a jury trial is to have a jury of your peers, not a jury of people who have no knowledge of the person and their potential motives. So government is basically making the rules of who's going to be on that jury. And we learn right from the beginning what I mentioned earlier in this episode. If government is involved in that process and making rules and limitations about that process, then you don't have a true jury trial. You don't have a jury of uh, one's peers. He goes on, he says, remarkably and regrettably, this process of elimination is the exact opposite of the origin and purpose of paneling a jury of one's peers. Today, a jury is not composed of one's peers, but of strangers without even a scintilla of personal knowledge of the notoriety or virtue of the man whose life, liberty, and property they take into their hands. So that is a really, really important piece. It's unfortunate, but the trial by jury is still incredibly important to understand and probably try to use how it's supposed to be used. The founders, I think, were almost universal in their support of the jury trial, even though they didn't refer to it as jury nullification. It was still the right of the people to judge not just the law and fact, but not the, just the facts of the case, but the law itself and whether or not to set someone's free, someone free. Here's John Adams, for example, 1774. Representative government and trial by jury are the heart and lungs of liberty. Without them, we have no other fortification against being ridden like horses, fleeced like sheep, worked like cattle and fed and clothed like swine and hounds. And for those of you who've heard me talk about John Adams back in the early days before the revolution, this guy was one of the best. And of course, once he became president, part of the Federalist Party, 
1798 Alien and Sedition Acts, uh, he really shifted. And even Mercy Otis Warren talked about that in her great history of the American Revolution. She's like, this was one of the best guys we had on our team. And he really kind of, even though he was still uh, supportive of the Constitution, the way he actually presented it was more for centralized power. But this is when Adams was incredible. I mean, that's pretty emphatic. Jefferson put it this way. I consider trial by jury as the only anchor yet ever yet imagined by man by which a government can be held to the principles of its constitution. Because if they can't convict anybody, they can't lock anybody up and juries keep uh, throwing people to freedom, then what can they do? There's very little, I mean, unless they kind of resort to arms in another way. Dickinson, John Dickinson, the great penman of the revolution in 1788 as well, said trial by jury is the cornerstone of our liberty. We must guard it with jealous circumspection against those new and arbitrary methods of trials which may imperceptibly undermine it. You may not even notice that it's getting undermined, but then you end up how, how it is today. He warned us against allowing government to create new restrictions instead of keeping it as a trial by country. Trial by jury, Dickinson wrote, is our birthright, who in opposition to the genius of United America shall dare to attempt its subversion. And Madison, James Madison, the following year, 1789, trial by jury in civil cases is as essential to secure the liberty of the people as everyone, as Tony, one of the pre-existent rights of nature. I'm not sure if I got, no, I'm sure that's right. Joe's pretty good. If it's an error, I'll double check that quote. But basically, there are a few others in here. Patrick Henry, uh, the South Carolina General Assembly, even the great centralizer, Alexander Hamilton, they are all on board with the trial by jury because the jury trial is what prevents government from convicting people. It's incredibly, incredibly important. And one last one that I want to get, this was actually uh, included, where did I put it here? John Jay, who was the first chief justice of the Supreme Court. I mean, this guy is lawyer through and through. He was one of the original authors of the Federalist Papers, even though it was mostly written by Madison and Hamilton. The early ones were heavily written by John Jay as well. First Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Can you think of any modern Supreme Court justice, much less a chief justice, any of them in modern times, the last hundred years, saying something like this? It would not be Scalia, no Clarence Thomas, none of them. He says, on questions of fact, it is the province of the jury on the on questions of law, it is the province of the court to decide, but it must be recognized that by the same law, which recognizes this reasonable distribution of, of jurisdiction, you have nevertheless a right to take upon yourselves to judge of both and to determine the law as well as the fact and controversy. So judge whether or not someone violated the law in the books, but you are also judging the law itself judging the law itself. He says, both, uh, but both, still both objects are lawfully within your power of decision. He told a jury this. It is within your power to determine whether or not this law should even be uh, enforced. So it's up to the jury. This is the first uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. That's what he had to say in 1794 to a jury in a civil case. I'm going to take a look over at the live chat and think, uh, see what's going on here. A lot of back and forth. Cool. I don't know if I'm going to be able to follow this. I do see uh, Lloyd from Wisconsin. That's my home state. Pretty awesome. I grew up in Milwaukee. 
moved here to Southern California in the mid-90s when I went to college at USC. Never, uh, never finished. Um, Justin Bayola talking about Theophilus Parsons' views being very important. Patricia Dance, Samuel Adams was the man. You got that right. One of my favorites, if not my favorite, from the founder, founding generation. Justin says, never forget the government is made of people, bad ones, of course. And so that's the nature of power. When you have the most powerful government on the face of the earth, in the history of the globe, power attracts people who want to use power. You and I, we're not interested, most likely, in wielding a bunch of power and telling a bunch of people what to do. Hundreds of millions of people, if not billions around the world. We're not interested in demanding that everyone follows our dictates. We want people to just live their own lives and leave us alone in general. But people who are drawn to all that power are generally bad people in most situations. So I agree. EHP training, good point, buddy. The creature wants to write the rules for the creator. The creature government wants to write the rules for the creator. That's us. And this has even happened in the great uh, jury trial right as well. Uh, taking a look a little further, Jared Peace talking about uh, the judge acts as the 13th jurist with the final say. That is a really, really good point. And Patricia points out, we live in a society that loves servitude. Ethan Max says, unless we unite and act in unison in mass, it's pointless. Talk does nothing. Well, yes and no. Just talk on its own does nothing. But talk and education is very important. That's why our work here is twofold. One, we educate people on the proper role of government, what, how things are supposed to be. But then we also encourage people to actually do acts of nullification, whether it's state level, county, city level, jury level, individual level, through businesses, whatever it may be. So all those acts, all that is incredibly important. You need the education to bring more people into the fold, and then you need real-life examples of success of how things work to be able to actually bring those people in the fold when they hear about things. They'll say, oh, well, this doesn't work, but you have to be able to prove to them that it does. Justin Bayola your rights come from your creator, and your government suppresses your ability to exercise them without a doubt. Um, scrolling a little bit more. A lot of hellos, really. <laughs> okay, interesting stuff. Uh, Shane Bryce, I got Bryce. I apologize if I got your name. Uh, incorrect. I got screwed in a civil matter by a judge who violated my Fifth Amendment, yet I've been told that the Fifth Amendment only applies to criminal matters. Interesting. I thought all men are given these inalienable natural rights, regardless of circumstance. Carol Peterson sounds like government classes need to be taught taught throughout all years of school. Otherwise, well, yes and no. Unfortunately, government runs the school system. Even the private schools, they have to be approved and accredited by some government system. And the more that it gets federalized and centralized through grant money and funding programs to the states, whether it's Race to the Top or Common Core or whatever else, the more that it's actually pushing these states into having a one-size-fits-all solution, basically government dictated by Washington, D.C., schooling dictated by government, far-off government. Uh, in Washington, D.C., which is even worse than local government dictating, because at least you can have some impact on what happens more locally. So, yes, people need more education, but I think entrusting the government schools to do that isn't going to do the right thing, because when I went to a government school and I learned all kinds of stuff about government. I just learned 
that every problem needed a government solution. So that really is, I mean, yes, we need more education. I agree with you, Carol. I just don't think the government schools are a good place today. Joe Morin says every traffic violation is a criminal offense. Demand a jury. That's interesting. It would bog down, uh, <laughs> bog down the system and slow them down. I like that idea. Mac, my cat food. That is an awesome name. Haven't seen you in a while. I love nullification. Good to see you as well. Ken, uh, Ken Fitzpatrick says, I think we've been indoctrinated to dread jury duty. Agreed. And myself, before I started learning about this, well before I ever read Spooner, before I learned what Joe Wolverton or Ostrowski had to write about, before I learned much about the founders, I actually did everything I could to avoid jury duty. And in cities like Los Angeles, Boston, and elsewhere, the 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 rate of people showing up for jury duty, I believe, is like 30 to 40 percent. It's so low. And there's so many people who just don't go that they just don't even uh, they don't even prosecute people on this for skipping out. So I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. It's a ripoff. I don't want to partake in that. I didn't realize what a great opportunity that I would have to be able to help someone be free for violating some law that probably shouldn't exist. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean if I was chosen to be on jury duty, that would be the case that that I would have to hear. But who knows? I think if I ever get called again, I'm going to scramble to get in there. I am not going to tell anyone that I love jury nullification, although it's probably very easy to find at this point. Who knows? A smart prosecutor will probably disqualify me pretty quickly. But if I keep my mouth shut and I get on the jury, I can maybe help set someone free from government prosecution. And Ken, I think that's an incredibly important point. EHP training makes a point about uh, education. Homeschool is the answer now, in my opinion. Hard here in California, from what I understand. Uh, but absolutely. Jared Peace, if you don't open and hold your own court and appoint your jury of your peers, you'll never get justice. Yes. Uh, I mean, basically, it needs to be a jury of the peers, not jury by government. Anyways, I really, really... Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you found it educational. I'm learning as I'm going on this. I hope I did an okay job of trying to explain this really, really important stuff. I hope it was fun to watch. I hope you're having a good day so far. I'm really grateful for you spending a little time of your Monday with me today. Uh, if you support the show, smash the like, hit subscribe, continue leaving comments, all of those things. All the platforms you may watch on, just about all of them or listen on, are very easily triggered. So let's trigger them with those actions. It tells the algorithm to show the program to more people. So thank you very much for that. And of course, if you want to support us financially, as little as two bucks a month goes a long, long way. TenthAmendmentCenter.com slash members. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you for spending some time with me today. I'm very grateful for it. I'll see you on Wednesday and Friday for more episodes of The Path to Liberty. Have a great day. So my name is Scott Bornstein and I am a pediatric oncologist and I take care of children, teenagers and young adults with cancer. I could not do my job without the volunteers who donate their blood and their platelets for our patients. The reasons why platelets are so important for cancer patients is that a lot of the treatments we use to treat cancer can have side effects. And one of the side effects is, is it affects your body's ability to make normal blood cells. And so after you get certain types of chemotherapy, your body can't make platelets and so your platelet count falls and it makes you more likely to bleed. And so one of the ways that we help and support our patients that get intensive chemotherapy is we have to give them platelet transfusions. 
I just want to thank everybody who donates their blood to help our patients. We could not uh, treat our patients without you, and you have my heartfelt gratitude. What if you could do one thing on Monday that might save a cancer patient's life on Wednesday? When you donate platelets, that's exactly what can happen. Platelets are tiny cells in your blood that form clots and stop bleeding. If you've ever fallen off your bike or cut yourself shaving, you've seen them in action. But these little cells do their best work helping cancer patients who often lack platelets due to the cancer or as a side effect of treatment. Platelets also prevent blood loss in patients undergoing surgery and organ transplants. Without platelets, patients wouldn't survive. They save lives every day. The challenge? Platelets are in constant demand by hospitals. And because platelets must be used within five days, new donors are needed every day. That's why we need you. Platelet donation is a little different than giving blood. Here's how it works. You'll make an appointment at a Red Cross donation center. During your visit, we'll draw blood through one arm, extract your platelets in a machine, and return the rest through your other arm. Relax, watch a movie, listen to music. A few hours later, you'll have donated enough platelets to help as many as three patients. So if you give on Monday, by Wednesday, she'll be able to recover quickly. He'll have a safe and successful surgery, and she will have the strength she needs to keep fighting. To learn more or schedule an appointment, visit redcrossblood.org platelets or call 1-800-RED-CROSS. I went through probably the hardest thing that I'll ever go through in my life when I was diagnosed with cancer. As I slowly began to process what was going on, I became pretty afraid and pretty scared that I might not get better. When we got the phone call from the doctor that day, it was like an out-of-body experience. When he said, your son has leukemia, I, we were just in shock. Troy needed blood and platelets right when he was admitted to the hospital, as soon as he was diagnosed. One of the times when we were in clinic and Troy was receiving chemotherapy, he also needed to get some platelets. and. Um, we were waiting for them to come, and the nurse would come in and say, oh, the platelets aren't here yet. You know, another half an hour or hour would pass, and they're still not here yet. There's a shortage of platelets. My mom and I were both pretty concerned that I wasn't gonna get the platelets in time, and I became pretty afraid and pretty scared that I might not get better. So watching Troy's health, improve after getting blood and platelet products. It was amazing to see him go from this almost lifeless boy to a son who had energy and more life to him. I'm extremely happy every single day to just be able to spend time with my family and just spending time with my friends again and playing sports with them again and being a part of the community at my school. To all the blood and platelet donors, I just want to say thank you so much for helping my son Troy get better. 
and giving him strength and giving him life, it means the world to me.